Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Supermodel so iconic you only need her first name to know who we're talking about. But she's well known for reasons beyond that walk. From thrown phones to legal battles, Naomi's reputation is complicated to say the least. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Why do we sound like Chris and Murray from that radio app? I know. <laughs> we are Chris and Murray. I forgot about that ad. That's actually quite good. Now, we are here for the first of our two-part series on Naomi Campbell. I have to say, when it comes to Naomi Campbell, I felt probably, well, I was simply too young to mm. understand or to really grasp how big she was. How iconic And how iconic the supermodel era was of that time. And I think we wanted to do this series for a couple of reasons, right? Firstly, to understand her insane and massive career, but also to dig into those controversies that she's known for. And part of me was like, I think Naomi Campbell, I think massive model, and I also do think phone throwing. Same. And I wanted to do this to work out how much of this commentary was fair, unfair how much of it was a media beat up how much of it was no this was quite genuinely bad behind the scenes and quite valid to talk about yeah one thousand percent and so i've been really fascinated going back into this as a kid who grew up just hearing words associated with a person i agree it's so interesting when i think of naomi campbell having only been born in 94 like you i think of this incredible walk that everyone still talks about this incredible catwalk pose posture strut that is so iconic and so uniquely her and then I think of throwing phones at assistants so let's go through it all let's unpack her career unpack the many controversies that have plagued Naomi Campbell's life but also the incredible stuff she's achieved at the same time it is a roller coaster of a ride let's take it we are rewinding back to 1970. (laughs) 
Alrighty, Mish. So Naomi Campbell was born in South London on May 22, 1970. Her mum, Valerie, is a Jamaican-born dancer, according to The Telegraph, and she would travel for weeks on end for her work with the 70s go-go troupe Fantastica. Until she was about 10 to 12 years old, Naomi was actually left at home and largely raised by friends and relatives. Yeah, she reflects on this a lot in her book, Naomi, where she wrote, until I was about 12, home was my grandmother's house. My mum was a dancer and lived in Italy and later Switzerland. I was always excited when she came home to visit and sad when she had to leave. Mum had such style and grace. Interestingly, Naomi never met her biological father. In 2005, she said, I never met my father. My mother doesn't want it and my birth certificate says cross, cross, cross. She doesn't want it and I've always respected her wishes. Yeah, from the age of about three, she studied dance at Barbara Speak Stage School. When she turned 13, she was accepted into Italia Conti Stage School in London, where she studied ballet. It makes a lot of sense how poor she is. Well, I didn't know this, right? But if we're talking about one of the supermodels of her generation with a walk that was so iconic, makes huge sense that she was trained as a ballerina. Yeah, that posture really makes a lot of sense. Naomi's big break came when she was 15 years old she was hanging out with friends after school dressed in her uniform when she was spotted by Beth Bolt now Beth was the head of synchro modeling agency Naomi has said that she was and I quote surprised and excited to be approached by Beth but her mum did not feel the same way which we've got to say we love it when there's an anti-stage mum featured in Scandal. Yes, because it's not that common, no. is it? We're always sort of talking about the stage parents and every so often a parent comes along in these stories and says, no, I don't want this for you. Feet on the ground, please. Yeah, <laughs> Naomi once said, when I told my mum she wasn't into the idea at all. We'd all heard horror stories of girls being approached, paying huge amounts of money to have pictures taken and then getting nowhere. My mum wanted me to stay at school and finish my exams. As we know, being scouted off the street does seem to have been a pretty common way to get discovered as a model back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, we spoke a lot about the career of Kate Moss, remembering, of course, she was spotted at the airport getting onto a plane. But it does seem like a pretty easy way to get scammed. (laughs) I know people who were scammed, obviously, were much younger. But some of my friends were scammed growing up, like approached at Flinders Street Station. Oh, it's it's that area of the city. (laughs) And told, if you pay $1,000, we'll make you a model. (laughs) And they paid it. Yeah, well, their parents paid it. Oh, fuck. That's not good. That's not good at all. But see, it happens. Now, regardless of her mother's hesitation, Naomi went and had her photos taken. A few weeks later, she went in her school uniform. And after they were taken, Valerie did agree to allow Naomi to model as long as it did not mess with her education. Three months after signing with Synchro Modeling Agency, Naomi was booked for a shoot with British Elle magazine. A reminder, she only signed on when she was 15. So this is like... An insane level of success already. And we're going to say this a few times probably throughout this series is to be like just to time check. She's been (laughs) in the industry for two months and she gets these jobs. But that is one of the things I was most blown away with when we were researching this is how quickly 
her career Exploded. took off. Yeah. She was flown to New Orleans for this British Elle magazine shoot and did two separate looks for the mag. One was in like a prairie style dress and one was on the beach. When she got back to London, she was then courted by American agents hoping to represent her. Mm, Naomi was first called to model in Paris when she was just 16 years old. In her memoir, she wrote, my Aunt June came with me to Paris for the first time, but it wasn't long before I was heading there for weeks at a time just on bookings for French L. Crazy, right? I love this for her. 16 years old. How is it not messing with her schooling at this point though? Yeah, that's also (laughs) true. Like there's absolutely no way. Now by 1987, Naomi was just 17 years old and was truly beginning to take the world by storm. In December that year, she was featured on the cover of British Vogue for the first time. She was pictured throwing her head back laughing in the desert and wearing a bright gold and blue Chanel mini dress. It is such a beautiful photo, Mish. Like, I am obsessed with looking at this photo. If you haven't seen it, we will put it up on Instagram. It's hard to comprehend how a 17-year-old can, like, be this good of a model so quickly. This photo sparks so much joy. It will be on our Instagram page. Please go look at it. It is, in every sense of the word, iconic. Yeah, and I think when we were going back and looking at it, I forgot how little was on magazine covers at this point in time. So this is 1987. You've got this incredible dress that Naomi is wearing. The background is all desert. And there's only like four or five words on this cover, Max. It says night attractions. And at the very bottom has some line about Christmas. That is it. It's not like where to find the best coats this no. summer or whatever it might be. Ten this summer, this ways winter. to sex up your life, yeah. which wouldn't be on Vogue no. anyway. But like there's nothing else. There's no listicles. It's, it's just Naomi. Just Naomi, which is kind of even more iconic. Now, it wasn't just her poise in front of the camera that Naomi quickly became known for, though. She also became very famous very quickly, as we've mentioned For her iconic walk. Yeah, according to Elle magazine, Naomi's runway walk, and we quote, mixed the perfect combination of sophistication and laissez-faire air. Reflecting on that iconic walk, British Vogue's Alex Kessler wrote recently, As one of the original supermodels, Naomi swiftly acquired a reputation not only for her striking features, but also her inimitable strut, helped by her seemingly endless legs. Now, of course, this success is even more impressive given the racism that Naomi was subjected to within corners of the modelling industry, ostensibly from the moment she started. As she wrote in her memoir, when I started out, I wasn't being booked for certain shows because of the colour of my skin. I didn't let it rattle me. From attending auditions and performing at an early age, I understood what it meant to be black. You had to put in the extra effort. You had to be twice as good. In 1988, Naomi, by this point in the story, she's still only 18 years old, became the first black model to feature on the cover of French Vogue. Securing that cover was not easy or straightforward, though. Apparently, according to reports, the publication actually denied Naomi the cover at first. Speaking on her aspiration to feature on French Vogue, Naomi said years later, I saw the other girls asking for the cover and I said, I want one too. Now, by this point in the story, Naomi's one of the most successful models in the world. She's done British Vogue. She's done basically every L cover under the sun. And this was widely regarded as the next step in her career, that she would get French Vogue. She had also been contracted to massive brands like YSL for three years by this point. And yet, 
French Vogue doesn't seem keen on having her on their cover. No. And so as far as the story goes, after speaking to her friend Yves Saint Laurent about the situation, Laurent told Vogue that he would pull all of Yves Saint Laurent's adverts from the publication if they didn't feature Naomi on the cover. And so she became the first black model to appear on the cover of French Vogue, which is to say without people advocating for her, Mm. it was very hard for Naomi to get the jobs that she so well and above deserved. Yeah, it was like they were gatekeepers to certain things and those gatekeepers were just flagrantly racist. Yeah, absolutely. At this point in the story, I think, Mish, it might be a good time to zoom out a little bit and illustrate just how massive she was becoming in the cultural zeitgeist because in the 80s and 90s, models were celebrities in their own right. And if you're thinking they were famous in the way that models like Carly Gloss, <laughs> our famous, you need to think bigger, right? Yeah, much bigger. For those of us who didn't live through this time, it can be hard to imagine the sheer scope of influence that supermodels had. But for a somewhat still current reference, it might be helpful to think of various supermodels and the opportunities that were given in the 80s and 90s. A good example is Elle McPherson being cast in Friends. Like she was the guest star yeah. in the biggest show in the world. And everyone was so excited that Elle McPherson was on. That just wouldn't happen today. I just don't think we care enough about models. Like we care and they're famous, but not to the level that like they're that culturally relevant. Yeah. Supermodel was obviously a word that really just meant superstar. They were referred to in the media on a first name basis, which is always incredibly funny. They were featured in gossip columns, guests on talk shows, and they were also starring in movies Mm. themselves. When it came to supermodels, Naomi Campbell was arguably the most famous of them all. She and her fellow supermodels, Linda Evangelista and Christy Turlington, were dubbed the Trinity at the time. According to the New York Times, the Trinity were, and I quote, the first fashion models to challenge the celebrity of movie stars, and they were everywhere. How good would it be to be named as part of the Trinity? It, it feels like the Powerpuff Girls or Truly, something. Truly, <laughs> yeah, and the power they would have. Yeah, in a 1990 people profile titled A Night with the Cover Girls, journalist Elizabeth Sporkin wrote of the Trinity, Each earns more than a million dollars a year, hobnobs with a crowd that could curdle Robin Leach's caviar and holds the power to sell a skin-tight frock to the wrong buyer. A gift not lost on them. I have that dress, meows Naomi of a thigh-high Isaac Mazzari mini that looks lumpy on a woman at the next table. Now I'll never wear it again. All right, so lots (laughs) to unpack just in this quote, for sure. Okay, first of all, Obviously, they have the influence. They all earn a lot of money. And these three were so big that they were, as a trio as well, that profiles were being written of the three of them all together. Yeah. But I think this speaks very, you know, neatly to how they didn't hold back. And particularly Naomi Campbell was quite honest with her thoughts from the start and was controversial. I mean, this was 1990. I have a hunch this wouldn't be said in 2023. I think that hunch is bang on. But wildly problematic quote regardless. Now, it comes across in all the interviews that we've read at least that these three were actually best mates. Naomi told people in that profile story, we're only a third without each other. Christy Turlington noted that the three of them became best mates because, and I quote, we became big at the same time. I love it. I know it's an easier narrative for them to peddle to say, we're all hot, we're the trinity and we're best friends as well but you can totally understand why it was pragmatic 
to become best friends too. It's like, well, you're all getting into the same parties. You're all getting similar types of work. Mm. It is easier to become friends who are skyrocketing at the same time. It's like you're so powerful individually, but you've realised that together it's like a superpower that no one can compete with. Yeah, why not become best friends? A hundred percent. We're also obsessed with this line from that people story. The dinner reservation at Punch, New York City's hotspot of the moment, is for nine. But a hair crisis has delayed Naomi, Linda and Christy by 45 minutes. A little problem likely to cost less extraordinary customers their table for the evening. Yet this threesome isn't the least bit worried. They'll let us in, says the London-born Campbell in a chirpy British accent. We make their restaurants. (laughs) I love that quote so much. (laughs) That said, though Naomi was regarded as, and this is a quote from Interview Magazine, the reigning mega model of them all, she still, as we noted from the start, was still facing discrimination and still struggled to get opportunities that other women had. Famously, Christy Turlington and Linda Evangelista once told Dolce & Gabbana, if you don't use Naomi, you don't get us, giving the brand an ultimatum. In that same interview for Interview Magazine that I touched on just before, Naomi elaborated on her relationship with her fellow supermodels and friends, saying, my friends and comrades stuck up for me and that doesn't happen in fashion. I will never forget that. I don't forget what people do. No matter how many years go by, I will always remember. Mm, In January that year, Naomi was featured on the cover of British Vogue alongside the fellow supermodels of the moment, Linda Evangelista, Tatiana Petites, Christy Turlington and Cindy Crawford, the black and white photograph, which we're sure you've all seen before, but we'll put up on our Instagram, was taken by photographer Peter Lindbergh and features the supermodels standing together in simple, minimal clothing. Speaking to The Guardian about that shoot, Peter said, the supermodels were a revolution. There was a freshness to them that stood against the prevailing idea of what a woman was. These girls were outspoken, fun, poking at you, making edgy jokes, getting involved. Naomi was incredible. I'd never met anyone like her and haven't since. We are going to talk more about how incredibly unique Naomi Campbell is and was right after the break. All right, Zara. So it's clear that, I mean, the 80s were Naomi's star years, but the 90s somehow managed to top them. By the 90s, Naomi was featuring in some of the biggest music videos in the world. She was opening and closing the biggest fashion shows in the world. And she was going beyond like a typical modeling stuff as well. She had published a ghostwritten novel titled Swan. She'd released an album titled Baby Woman. And she was taking acting gigs on television. She was truly doing it all. Yeah, it reminds me of sort of today's influencers who build a career, realise they've got quite a following and, you know, a pretty big level of success. And they're like, how can I capitalise on this? in as many ways as I possibly can. Everyone seemed to release an album in the 90s. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Despite her astronomical success, though, from very early on in her career, Naomi also did start to develop a reputation for being a bit of a diva. Now, I think what's been kind of tricky in this research is been trying to separate out what actually happened versus what perhaps Mish was media manipulation. Mm. But what we're going to do regardless is give you an overview of the biggest Naomi headlines so that you can make sense of them with us. Yeah. The first time the media got wind of Naomi's alleged violent streak was on her 22nd birthday when headlines reported that she had punched American actress Troy Bayer outside a club in New York. That same year, 
During an argument with her mother in a Manhattan restaurant, Naomi allegedly slapped her across the mouth. Yeah, in 1993, she then found herself in one of her biggest headlines to date after news broke that she was reportedly fired from a US agency elite model management after the founder of the company, John Casablancas, labelled her, and I quote, crazy, irrational and uncontrollable. Mm. Naomi and her new team at Ford Models deny that she was fired from elite, instead saying that she had walked and changed agencies now this was a massive deal at the time i mean this was one of elite models highest profile names elite was one of the biggest agencies in the world Mm. and it became clear that she was exiting on terrible terms like as bad as you can possibly get here's how people magazine opened their story analyzing this news in 1993 on one side you have a flashy headstrong supermodel given to tantrums sulks and feuds a 23 year old drama queen who shows up late for bookings counts mike tyson among her former beaus and can swear like a stevedore when peaked on the other you have a playboy turned modeling magnet who isn't averse to trashing one of his protégés when she becomes a prima donna Yeah, the piece went on. Casablanca sent a fax to clients announcing that his agency would no longer serve as a US rep for the British catwalk queen who reportedly pulled in 1.5 million last year. The next day, rival Ford models announced that it snapped up Campbell and those in Campbell's camp were asserting that Casablanca hadn't sacked her. Instead, they said she had walked. The piece got even more wild when it spoke directly about Casablanca. Nonsense, said the ever-controversial Casablancas, who made headlines earlier this year when he took a 17-year-old Brazilian as his third wife. I refuse to have this rude little girl making the world believe she's leaving my agency, he said. She got the boot. Claiming that Campbell was disloyal, Casablancas, who represents top earners, including Cindy Crawford, said in his facts, no amount of money or prestige could further justify the abuse that has been posed on our staff and our clients. He later explained, she has been having people around here in tears. Our staff have killed themselves for her in terms of the number of lies told in order to protect her. We have a lot to talk about here. Don't we? Uh, it just It's so messy. It's incredibly messy. And I, I do want to go back to that first sort of opening of the piece that you spoke about from People magazine when it's kind of pitting Naomi Campbell and John Casablancas against each other and spends far more time talking about 23-year-old drama queen prima donna than mm. John Casablancas, who seems arguably... Like a prick. <laughs> and, and quite problematic. Oh, yeah. Taking a 17-year-old Brazilian as his third wife. Like I this just... guy is like got skeletons in his closet, but we're spending way more time talking about the prima donna that is Naomi Campbell. By the way, guys, that detail about him taking a teenager as his third wife is just like chucked in there in, in brackets. Yeah. It's so strange. For the record as well, the whole people report is quite something. After that passage we just read out to you, They also spoke to Katie Ford of Ford Model Management, who took a big swing at Elite. She told People magazine, Naomi's expanding her career into other areas and thought we could handle her better. Naomi's mother, Valerie, also weighed into this article. She spoke to People and said, Naomi's a victim of racism. She's no angel, but she's professional. I think she would be treated differently if she were white. And look, no matter what way you cut it, Naomi's mum was not wrong. In that People report, a woman called Leslie Ann Jones is quoted and she was apparently relevant in this conversation because she had a month prior released a biography of Naomi Campbell called The Rise and Rise of the Girl from Nowhere. 
So what was that book about? We're going to read you a passage from the blurb. Naomi Campbell ranks alongside fellow supermodels Cindy Crawford, Linda Evangelista and Claudia Schiffer as one of the world's wealthiest professional beauties. However, myths and rumours seem to abound concerning the real Naomi Campbell. Is she supermodel or super bitch? And I think for me, reading this people piece, this inclusion of Leslie Ann Jones, who's written an entire book about Naomi Campbell as the rise and rise of the girl from nowhere. Mm. Like what's that meant to imply? The girl Mm. from nowhere, calling her the supermodel or the super bitch does prove Valerie's point. And in that piece, in People, Leslie Ann Jones said this, There's an explosive streak in Campbell's family. She comes from a very rough part of South London, and to me that says it all. You can take the girl out of Streatham, but you can't take the Streatham out of the girl. Oh, my God. So I think it's, like, incredibly relevant in the context of this conversation that, yes, maybe Naomi Campbell turned up late to sets, maybe she was tough to work with from time to time, Mm. but no other model is getting this kind of commentary. No, no way. It's just unfair. I don't think you can cut it really any other way. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, you've got sort of early allegations of violence, Mish. You've got an incredibly high-profile exit from her modelling company, pretty horrendously racist and sexist reporting. And then you've also got the very famous, or I should say infamous, feud between Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks. Yeah. If you guys weren't aware, in the early 90s, Naomi found herself locked in a pretty interesting feud with fellow model Tyra Banks. Now, it's always been hard to glean exactly what went down between these two or what started it all or was it really as bad behind the scenes as was reported in newspapers. I think one thing that we were trying to get to the bottom of was, was this fabricated by the media? Was this racism in the fashion world? Or was there actually a legitimate rivalry between Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks? It's an incredibly layered story. Mm. And I think context is important here too. For starters, in 1992, and just before this feud was reportedly quote-unquote born, Naomi Campbell, Tyra Banks and other black models held a press conference in New York as the Black Girls Coalition to protest the fact that certain designers didn't book them for shows. The Black Girls Coalition was actually founded to speak out against the ongoing lack of representation presentation of black models in adverts, editorial and on runways. As British Vogue noted recently, the 90s were a period, and this is a quote from British Vogue, when agents were brazenly saying no blacks, no ethnics on casting calls. Mm. This is the backdrop of where this reported feud is born, right? An incredibly competitive environment. Yeah. I mean, a backdrop where black models are being told there's no space for them on some shows and are obviously feeling like they're not getting an equal go. Much of this feud between Tyra and Naomi reportedly kicked off in 1992 when Naomi reportedly persuaded Karl Lagerfeld to ban a then 19-year-old Tyra Banks from the Chanel catwalk. Apparently, according to the reports, Naomi told Karl Lagerfeld, if Tyra appears, I don't. The other reports also said that before she moved on from elite model management in 1993, Naomi also tried to get elite to drop Tyra Banks from their roster. In an interview, elite founder John Casablanca said, Naomi made me lose Tyra Banks because she didn't feel there was room for her and Tyra at the same agency. 
Speaking to the Wall Street Journal years later, Tyra reflected on these early years in modelling and her relationship with Naomi. She said it wasn't a rivalry, and I'm very sensitive to that word because a rivalry is with two equals to me, where one was very dominant here. She was a supermodel and I was just some new girl that got on a plane from Paris and was studying fashion in magazines at a fashion library. Yeah, Tyra's quote went on, I had very painful early days in Paris. As much as I was booking every single fashion show, people didn't know I was going home at night crying my eyes out because a woman I was looking up to seemed like she just didn't want me to be there and was doing everything in her power to make me go away. So I mean, Tyra's saying it's not a rivalry because she's treating me well. It's not a rivalry because she has so much more power than I do. And there's no way that we're coming up with equal kind of footing here. It seems to me like a bullying dynamic. Well, that's what Tyra certainly is saying in those quotes. Perhaps one explanation for how this really blew up as well is the way that these women were openly pitted against each other in the media. Take this passage from the New York Times in 93, for instance, which had the headline, The Next Naomi? Question mark. And the text read, Tyra Banks, a black model, became a star at the Fall Collections, prompting many to call her the next Naomi Campbell. But she had another idea. I want to see more than one top black model, Tyra Banks said. I don't want to be the next one. I want to be one of the next. Mm. There was absolutely this narrative that there was only room for one. It would either be Naomi or it would be Tyra. And you can imagine that Naomi saw that kind of rhetoric after fighting her way to the top. Yeah, there's yeah. no arguing with that and felt territorial, rightly or wrongly. Well, people are talking about like a change of the guard. Is yeah. it like who's the next Naomi who's going to literally take her spot? But, I mean, it's a pretty good quote from Tyra Banks. I know she's controversial. I'm sure one day we will tackle Tyra Banks and the America's Next Top Model franchise in a scandal series. But for 1993, that's a pretty remarkably self-aware, intelligent quote for me. For her to say, I don't want to be the next Naomi Campbell. I'm not going to buy into that. On the spot, getting this question, I'm going to tell you, There's room for us all? Yeah, for sure. The Chicago Tribune even wrote in 1993, Naomi Campbell calls Tyra, well, who knows what she calls her. Although neither Tyra nor supermodel Campbell will publicly sling a bad word in each other's direction, the word in the fashion press is they aren't friendly. Yeah, it's interesting. I think as well the comparisons drawn between Tyra Banks and Naomi Campbell at the time by the media kind of exposed them as a little bit uneducated when it came to the fashion world. For starters... These two models were, yes, two black women, but they were in very different areas of fashion. Naomi was working in high fashion while Tyra was becoming the face of drugstore brand CoverGirl. She got that gig in 1994. While Naomi did achieve mainstream fame, Tyra expanded her personal brand in areas that Naomi wasn't really that interested in. I mean, Tyra was the first black woman to appear on Sports Illustrated and be in a Victoria's Secret catalogue. It felt like we had high fashion and commercial here and they were actually really competing for the same kinds of roles. Well, no, not after a few years anyway. Now, the headlines around Naomi and Tyra didn't just end in the mid-1990s. They went on for decades. So what we're going to do is we're going to leave these two here, but we will pick up their story later on when it fits far more neatly in the timeline because, boy, do they come back. Oh, there are developments to talk about (laughs) when it comes to Naomi and Tyra. But for now, sticking to the timeline, we're in 1997 and Naomi isn't just killing it in her career. 
her personal life is certainly becoming fodder for the tabloids. Yeah, in June 1997, a spokesperson for Naomi Campbell had to deny reports that she'd been rushed to hospital on the Canary Islands after a reported drug overdose. This all began when a Spanish news agency by the name of EFE caught wind that Naomi and her then boyfriend had been arguing late at night before Naomi fell ill and needed medical attention at hospital. Yeah, before long, some of the biggest publications in the world had picked up this Spanish news story. It appears that a hospital spokesperson actually spoke to the LA Times and confirmed that Naomi had overdosed, which feels wildly inappropriate to say the very least unless i'm really misinformed i can't think of a recent story where a hospital spokesperson has spoken on a celebrity's illness to the media yeah i agree with that actually i completely agree her spokesperson told the la times miss campbell is perfectly well and fully recovered and will be leaving hospital she wishes to make it clear that there is absolutely no foundation whatsoever to the story that she had taken an overdose Soon after, another statement was released by Naomi's team clarifying, contrary to press reports, Naomi Campbell was admitted to hospital today suffering from an allergic reaction to antibiotics. Mm, It feels really icky around this time in Naomi's career how specific media publications were. We're not actually going to repeat what a lot of news publications ran at this time because the level of detail they somehow seem to have into Naomi Campbell's hospital room is like, a complete violation of privacy on every level. Yeah, for sure. As you said before, I truly don't think we're getting that today. No, I am hoping desperate. I just don't think we are. Yeah, the 90s, a different beast. For a long time, that report about Naomi's reported overdose was a once-off as far as drugs were concerned. But we are going to talk about that a bit later because in the late 90s and the early noughties, Naomi Campbell's image was dented far more from the various assault headlines she found herself involved in again. Yeah, in September 98, Naomi's personal assistant, Georgina Galanis, was travelling with her through Canada while Naomi was working on a film. Now that film was called Prisoner of Love. Apparently when Naomi and Georgina's flight out of Toronto was delayed, Naomi completely lost her temper. We know this now thanks to gossip website The Smoking Gun because we actually have access to some of the paperwork from the lawsuit between these two and the details are kind of crazy. First of all, according to the paperwork, Georgina Galanis only began working as Naomi Campbell's personal assistant on August 28, 1998. On September 8 and 9, so just a little over a week after they began working together, Georgina claimed that Naomi negligently battered her. According to Georgina, the battery included striking her twice in the head with a telephone while grabbing her by the neck, punching her in the shoulder twice, grabbing her by the neck and violently shaking her head before slamming her against a wall. Yeah, in that same lawsuit, Georgina claimed that Naomi had damaged her clothes, repeatedly lunged at her, verbally abused her in an outrageous manner and threatened to eject her from a car onto a busy highway. The claim essentially concluded with the suggestion that Georgina had suffered $1 million in compensatory damages and $1 million in punitive damages. So two mil all up. 
Yeah, while she initially denied all charges, in 2000, Naomi pleaded guilty and was given an absolute discharge, which meant she was left with no criminal record in Canada. She paid Georgina an undisclosed amount of money and enrolled in anger management classes after the incident. So that headline is bad. That story is bad for Naomi's reputation. But perhaps things got even worse in February 2001, Zara, because Naomi's private struggles were about to be revealed to the entire world. Yeah, on Feb 1, 2001, the British tabloid, the Daily Mirror, published a front page story with the headline, Naomi, I am a drug addict. Now, this headline was accompanied by a heavily zoomed in paparazzi photo, well, multiple photos of Naomi dressed casually as she was leaving a rehab clinic. And the story read as follows. Supermodel Naomi Campbell is attending Narcotics Anonymous meetings in a courageous bid to beat her addiction to drink and drugs. The 30-year-old has been a regular at counselling sessions for three months often attending twice a day. Mm, The article continued, dressed in jeans and a baseball cap, she arrived at one of NA's lunchtime meetings this week. Hours later, at a different venue, she made a low-key entrance to a women-only gathering of recovering addicts. Despite her £14 million fortune, Naomi is treated as just any other addict trying to put her life back together. A source close to her said last night she wants to clean up her life for good. Yeah, and then the piece went on. She went into modelling when she was very young and it is easy to be led astray. Drink and drugs are unfortunately widely available in the fashion world. But Naomi has realised she has a problem and has bravely vowed to do something about it. Everyone wishes her well. I mean, this piece is one of the most wild sort of invasions of privacy, right? Mm. I mean, this seems to be a theme of this episode as well, just invasions into her privacy but to publish you know photos of her walking into narcotics anonymous meetings putting on the front page i am a drug addict when she hasn't said that to anyone it's not a quote from her she hasn't given an interview no but the way it's written indicates that it is yes and then to pretend throughout the text and the article that the daily mirror are on her side and compassionate everyone wishes her well we just wanted to get better is just the most irritating frustrating evil what is the word for it? i don't know it's i just so tried three it's like it's two-faced it's two-faced yeah it's the definition of two-faced that you are trying to do one thing which is very machiavellian and awful while pretending that you're really compassionate you're bringing her down under the guise of trying to support her yeah how on earth is any of this supporting her i would prefer the tabloids if they insist on writing bullshit articles like this i'd prefer they just lean into the snarkiness that we already know that they're clearly feeling towards these celebrities like just be honest just be open about your snark instead of covering it with all this bullshit kind of these platitudes and stuff yeah 100 percent. and all of a sudden the most private details of her life were made public but instead of lying down and denying it all naomi campbell decided to defend her right to privacy and sue one of the most powerful tabloids in the world but in turn what she had to do was tell the world everything, Mish. Guys, we are going to deep dive all of that. What happened next on part two of our Naomi Campbell scandal series? 
Thank you so much for listening to this one. I cannot wait to come back and tell you everything in part two because the scandals do not stop, Zara. They certainly do not stop. We have so much still to cover on part two. If you are not subscribed to our subscription offering Shame More and you are desperate to listen to part two right now, you can. All you have to do is jump on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Shame More, and the second episode will already be up for you to binge. Yeah, you can binge it right now. Guys, thank you so much. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.